in which New Mexico cities can women obtain surgical abortions? And I just want to let folks know we do call them surgical abortions. And folks um, who are not women but across the spectrum of gender also receive abortion care. And so um, as we go through this, we will also just be trying to put this uh, information out there for the press as well. Um, so I will open it up to the panel. I also want to remind folks, we do have representatives here. We have Speaker Brian Egoff, we have providers, um, and we have um, folks who are with uh, reproductive health and justice groups to answer these questions. I'm going to pass it to Charlene. Charlene, is this something you might be able to feel? Sure. Thank you. I was like, do I, do I unmute? I know. Here we go. <laughs> it's been a day. Um, yes. Yeah, so currently Bernalillo County is the only place in New Mexico offering surgical abortion care. We are certainly working uh, in Doniana County and other places across the state to, to change that because obviously the need um, is only going to grow as other places lose access to care. I do think that's an important note. Um, a lot of folks that we talk to nationally are so grateful for New Mexico and states like Colorado who have done this work to preserve access. What they don't realize is that our state is very rural and has lacked actual access for many, many years. So working to improve not only the access that we have to abortion care, but to a full spectrum of reproductive health care. That includes all sorts of services that people need across their lifetimes. Thank you so much, Charlene. Um, the next question is, with an expected increase in patients from out of state, what are clinics' capacities in New Mexico, and how will wait times change? How will delay of care impact people? And I'm going to open it up to uh, both Kayla and Farinas. Planned Parenthood, since uh, Senate Bill 8 passed in Texas almost a year ago, has seen um, almost 1,700 patients from Texas accessing abortion care in New Mexico. That is a huge increase in the number previous to that, um, which was around 400 um, prior to Senate Bill 8. What we know is we are watching a um, public health emergency in the making. Reproductive health centers stayed open in COVID because our governor recognized the critical care that reproductive health centers provide, not only abortion care, but pregnancy tests, STI tests, birth control visits. Um, when abortion sites, when abortion health centers begin to be at capacity for the care they're able to provide, we're also going to see stress on our healthcare system of people who are not able to go into a Planned Parenthood or another reproductive health center to access um, STI testing and treatment and prevention, birth control and pregnancy exams. So we are going to see a huge strain across the healthcare system in New Mexico, which we've already seen from COVID and in general a huge um, healthcare provider shortage in the state. So that's what we're looking at. We are working as fast as we can at Planned Parenthood to expand capacity for abortion care across our state. And as soon as we're able to share more, we will. Great, thank you. Um, Farinas, would you like to um, add on to that? 
I'll just add that um, it, it, exactly like Kayla was saying that an influx of patients from out of state will add the weight to our residents here as well and moving capacity, opening increasing apps, um, being medication abortion access, that of abortion are no, um, improving access and capacity is going to be very important for our residents here in New Mexico and the influx that you see and um, see. Thank you so much. And the next question is definitely tied to this. Um, do, you know, do New Mexico abortion providers have the capacity to handle greater demand from other states? How many abortion providers exist in New Mexico, um, specifically in southern New Mexico? Um, I see Ellie's hand up. Ellie, do you want to take that question? Sure. And I, um, you know, I will defer to the many other experts on this call as well. Um, I want to invite us to draw our gaze back a little bit. So today, um, patients in, in states all across the country are having their abortion appointments canceled, many of whom were in the clinic today hoping to get care. And so no matter how many abortion providers, no matter how many healthcare facilities there are in New Mexico, in California, in Illinois, in, you know, in, the, in the states that have protected our rights, the demand will never be met because people who do not have the resources, young people, people of color, black, indigenous, and many, many others will not be able to leave their states to get the care that they need. And so when we're talking about an influx of patients to New Mexico, those are the people that can afford to leave. Those are the people that can take time off of work, that can get childcare. Most people who access abortion care are already parents. Those are the people that have support systems that can come to our state. Obviously, this, just like Kayla said, this is a public health crisis in the making, and it has been in the making for years. And so when we, when we get questions about capacity and wait times and, um, and whether or not we have enough providers, enough clinics, the answer is no. We, we simply never will because we are making assumptions about who is able to come and the care that is already available. So we are a rural state, we are a state that does not have adequate access to healthcare in general. And so when we are talking about building out our infrastructure, when we are talking about expanding our capacity, our existing abortion providers have been doing this for a long time. Since SBA and the pandemic, we have seen an influx of patients and it's only going to increase. And so we need deep investments in just as we always have in our healthcare infrastructure here in New Mexico. And so as we expand access to care, particularly in the southern part of the state, I'm going to defer to um, the, the, our partners from Planned Parenthood and, and particularly Bold Futures um, who have been doing 
deep work um, in my hometown in Las Cruces to expand care for New Mexicans and our neighbors and community members. And so I just, I want to invite us all to put ourselves in the shoes of a patient today and a provider today. They have shown up for years, for decades, for their patients. And no matter what our infrastructure looks like, there will always be need for care. Thank you so much for that um, larger context, which I think is really important as we're addressing these questions. We may not answer them directly, but hopefully be able to pull back and give you all the the larger picture. Um, Charlene, was there anything else that you wanted to add to that from Southern New Mexico specifically? Representative uh, Rubio, Representative Ferrari as well, um, y'all are down south. Thank you, Ellie, so much for that. I was feeling that way, and um, you articulated it beautifully. When we start thinking about numbers and statistics, we lose the humanity of this. That's what this is about. This is about compassionate care, and this is about taking care of each other and respecting one another and being trusted to know what we need for ourselves and our families. Um, as I mentioned before, we have lacked access to basic reproductive health care in southern New Mexico for decades. I was born and raised here, and I am one of those people who has a difficult time just getting basic care. So um, to answer the question, will there be enough? How many are there? As we mentioned, procedural care is only available right now in Albuquerque. We are certainly working to change that. Um, Some of the work that Bold Futures has done over the last several months with our partners at Strong Families New Mexico, the University of New Mexico and Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains is work to not only establish a clinic that truly addresses the needs of the community, but to say that we need more than abortion care. We need abortion care that is thoughtful, that is long-term, that is not opportunistic, that is not coming in to extract from something that New Mexico has protected with such care and such dignity. We need people to understand that this is our, this is our lives. This is our long-term need for basic health care. So it goes far beyond Um, what we need in terms of procedural abortion access and availability. It speaks to what we need in general as as people who live in other parts of the state. Great. Thank you, Charlene. Um, What I'm going to do is I will be bundling some of the questions that are a little bit uh, repetitive and um, skipping to some to make sure we get to other topics as well. Um, in the question portion, we have, um, a couple of questions about whether or not we expand, um, whether or not we codify a row here. And I, I do want to give this question also back to, um, to the, uh, uh, reproductive health and justice organizations as well, um, because of the fact that our representatives and our senators do a really phenomenal job of looking to the people who work with the people to take a lead on this. And so um, I will also open it up to representative senators after, but I do want our folks um, to just sort of lead with this, uh, the answer for this question, and then I'll turn it over to the senators and reps. Either Charlene, uh, Charlene or Ellie, would you also like to field this question as well? That would be really great. Yeah. 
we need our boss, Mariana, to, to tell us <laughs> when to speak. Um, so I think your question um, more broad, specifically um, has to, the questions that we're hearing from, from some folks, should we codify Roe? Um, and again, I'm going to invite us to pull back um, because Roe is never enough. And in New Mexico, we have a, a long tradition of respecting reproductive freedom, including the right to abortion care. And we have a strong basis for constitutional protection already in our state constitution and in case law. And we have to do everything in our power to protect and expand access, real access to reproductive health and rights, including the right to abortion. So our job right now is to ensure that any proposed legislation is done intentionally and thoughtfully to protect the fundamental rights of New Mexicans. And so that can look like a lot of different things. And we are so grateful for the partnership and allyship of policymakers who are committed to thoughtfully and intentionally protecting our fundamental rights here in New Mexico. Um, I do want to turn it over. We have uh, leader Martinez, speaker, um, Senator Linda Lopez. Would you all um, like to comment on that as well? I will just uh, kind of echo of what Ellie mentioned is that I think we need to do, you know, take a step back, um, work with our partners um, here in the state and do thoughtful legislation if it's needed at this point in time. Um, I know that we're still talking and I believe that we will do this together if it's needed uh, for our session in January. Thank you, speaker. Speaker, you seem to be on mute even though it says you're not there on mute. Go. There we go. I, yeah, it, I always like seeing all of you. Uh, I just wish it wasn't under these circumstances. I. I'll echo what Radiana has said. I think there needs to be a lot of thought, and Ellie also, you know, there needs to be a lot of thought about whether it's needed and what might be the unintended consequences. For a long time, we have uh, successfully explained to the people of New Mexico and to legislators that abortion is healthcare and that it should be treated like any other medical procedure. And I think there needs to be thought given to whether or not we want to separate out uh, reproductive health care, uh, single it out as a part from other uh, forms of health care. Uh, and that's certainly a, a big issue that we need to think about. The other consideration is, and you're hearing this from uh, lots of folks uh, all over the country, is that access to abortion, uh, access to reproductive health care more broadly, access to contraception and, and uh, women's rights writ large are on the ballot this fall. And we're already seeing today Republican candidates for the state house making the pitch on social media to elect Republicans that we can ban abortion in New Mexico. Uh, it is all on the ballot. Uh, Governor or the gubernatorial candidate Mark Ronchetti has said he will sign an abortion ban uh, if he is elected. So this is critically important. We don't want to see New Mexico backtracking. We don't want to see New Mexico considering legislation that would criminalize 
departing our state for the purpose of seeking an abortion elsewhere. Uh, there's a lot of uh, very dire things that we're hearing from national Republicans and uh, a vote for a uh, Republican this fall is a vote to roll back rights and to put uh, women's health care at risk uh, for the next generation. Thank you, Speaker. Really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to roll a couple of the, these questions together that are a little bit similar. Um, folks are asking about the LGBTQ community and the impact of the Scottish ruling specifically on queer folks across our state and across the nation. Um, so it, this is a bit too pronged and I'll open it up um, to folks to answer, but how does the Scottish ruling affect specifically trans and non-binary folks who can get pregnant? Um, and the second prong of this is, um, I, I will actually read this one that says, Justice Thomas said in his concurring opinion that previous rulings that allow for contraception access and LGBTQ plus rights should be reconsidered. How will this impact the LGBTQ community locally and nationally? Um, and I will open it up to anyone who would like to come off mute. I know a lot of our folks, um, specifically in our repro groups, um, do a lot of work with queer communities. So I'll open it up to all of y'all. I would love to uh, start off and say that this is something that we have been talking about as an organization for quite some time. Again, this is the overturning of Roe is not just about abortion. There are so many things finally tied to that decision that are now um, in danger. And I am not the best person from our organization to speak on this. I would love to have Kat Sanchez, who's also on the call and not on camera because she didn't know she's gonna be called on. Um, but Kat, if you could come off mute, it would be amazing. Thank you so much, Charlene. Uh, my name is Kat Sanchez. I'm co-director of Policy for Bold Futures and also located in Southern New Mexico alongside our executive director. Um, in oral arguments, Justice Sotomayor brought that issue forward and in the dissent that was also brought up again. As a queer woman of color, I can see the path of overturning the right to intimacy between consenting adults uh, from Lawrence v. Texas and the right to marriage in Obergefell. That remains to be seen if that will be challenged and possibly overturned. But as we've seen from Texas and their anti-transgender -trans youth policy, it would not be surprising to see a challenge uh, going forward. Most importantly, though, this shows that these justice issues for different communities are not siloed um, and they intersect. And that is one of the core principles of the reproductive justice movement is centering the those most impacted and in a way that is intersecting of all of our identities. Thank you, Kat, for coming off of mute for us. Um, there are a couple of questions in the Q&A about uh, indigenous communities. And so um, folks are asking, how are New Mexico tribes weighing in on the issue, as well as um, how is misinformation impacting tribes and native folks? And so I, I wish we had our elders on here as well. Um, they are uh, in attendance. I would be happy to move you off and put you on as a panelist as well, if you would like to text me. Um, but we also have Crystal Curley on here as well. Crystal? Yeah, thank you um, for those, you know, really incredible questions about indigenous um, communities. I think one of the biggest um, misinformation that our Indigenous families have to endure is 
once they have a situation of abortion or having to come across that choice is that if they go to IHS, that's the only way that they are informed that they don't have access to abortion at IHS. It's only when you have to live through that experience where you are educated about that the lack of access. And I think that's the biggest um, barrier that all Indigenous people in the U.S. have to go through is having access. And I think for, you know, I just want to speak for my tribe. I'm Danam Navajo. And I think one of the biggest battles that we have to go through with, with our own tribal government is educating them that this is... Um, part of our way of life as an indigenous people is abortion and reproductive health care has always been a part of our way of life since millennia. We have a whole, a not very well thought out reproductive traditional health care system that is highly reliant on our oral histories, our oral stories, our ceremonies, our medicinal herbs, you know, there's so much aftercare that goes through um, any type of reproductive choice a family um, has to endure. Traditionally, you know, there's always an herb or ceremony for any type of choice that family has. And so I think the big, the second biggest battle that indigenous people have to go through is the stigma of um and the stereotype of indigenous people thinking that that all life is sacred and that abortion isn't a part of indigenous people's lives and i think that's where um religion has come into play with boarding schools um we have you know been a target of assimilation i'm sorry there's someone at my door oh give me one moment um we have continuously been a target um for assimilation for identity alterations because of the uh catholic uh boarding schools that we had to go to that had pretty much taken away our culture, our whole identity as a people. And I think that's the biggest um, barrier we have to go through is re-educating our tribal communities and our indigenous families about how this abortion healthcare, reproductive healthcare is traditional and, and has always been a part of our way of life. That type of education has been taken away from us. So I think this is, you know, a perfect, Again, opportunity of rematriating our education, our traditional education of the stolen land that we're on has been um, alterated into a way that Indigenous people have been disconnected to our traditional ways of life. And as an um, organization, Indigenous Lifeways, it's our obligation to ensure that our communities and our families are equipped with the correct information that has been passed down from our elders for millennia and you know that's our obligation at our organization as indigenous lifeways is always being a resource for 
education, the real truth of this land and of our people. And I think this is, um, again, another platform for all people, and even including Indigenous people, to learn the true history of what we've been going through for the past 500 years. Um, this is, you know, just a... Um, again, just a really great opportunity to really educate, just not just Indigenous people, but all people of the real rights and the real healthcare system that we do have and the real lacks and and gaps in this whole system. Thank you, Crystal. We also have um, Elder Noreen Kelly and um, I am going to allow you to talk now. You should be able to. <laughs> All right, Noreen, go for it. Noreen, I think you're on mute. There you go. Okay, you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay, great. Thank you for allowing me to speak. And um, I don't know. I was so angry. I woke up this morning uh, ready to do my class. And here it comes, a special report. And it was really saddening and angry. It angered me to see the judges take our life in their hands as if it was nothing. And make these decisions for us. I understand that they're they're okay with having the men tell us what to do or telling them the men telling them what to do and they're okay with it. But in the native community, women were the decision makers in our household. Men went out to work, provide for the family. And it was equal. No one had more power than the other. But for them to just wipe it off the slate and think that they should make those decisions for us. And especially Ron Ketty saying, okay, I'm going to draw this line. I said, have you ever spoken to a native here in New Mexico to see if they agree with you for saying that the, there's a divide, there's no divide, and neither are any one of them have access to our body autonomy. Our decisions are on the made with care. And there's reasonings and holiness behind the decisions that women make. So it, it really angers me. And it saddens me that someone still thinks that they can make decisions for women. And I appreciate all the men that are supporting us. But they didn't have that right to speak on our behalf because it was the judges that made their sole decisions to go with it. That's sad. And democracy, a country free freedom that's not afforded to everybody so people that have the money 
to make these decisions and turn around and say, I make those decisions. You you don't matter. I am angry. But I'm really proud of our leaders in Santa Fe to be able to listen to us and make that decisions with us, to stand alongside us, to make these decisions for women and the future of women in New Mexico. Thank you. I really appreciate you being on. Um, I am going to conclude this uh, press conference, but um, I am putting my email and number in the chat. If you would like to speak with any of these folks, I would be happy to connect you. Um,